If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be noble and true. And here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to why do paladins get saddled with lawful good? And what are some other paladin traits that you can use to guide your role playing? And what are paladin stories and what makes them compelling? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So today we are talking about the Mandalorian. A great character. No. And a a wonderful addition to the Star Wars universe. I mean, yes, but also no. We'll do that later. Okay. We'll do it later. Jumping like 30 steps. (laughs) That's how we do. I'm just excited about it. Well, I'm excited too, but one foot in front of the other, sir. All right. So today we're talking about paladins. The noble and righteous. The lawful good paladin. Goody two-shoes, enemy of the party rogue. (laughs) The stick in the mud. The absolute downer when you're trying to do something fun. Mr. No Fun, the fun police. Yeah. Okay, so that's the paladin. (laughs) Sounds like your next character already, eh? (laughs) God, I'm raring to go to play this character. Well, that's kind of the stereotype that they've had throughout Dungeons & Dragons. And some of that's come from previous editions where there was this mindset of the dm kind of policing your paladin and how much they were staying in line with their gods or their oaths or their like if they broke away from that then they don't get any paladin powers anymore they're just a chump yeah like how many different classes get their abilities stripped from them if they stray from one role-playing path yeah and in previous editions this was kind of a mechanic Maybe not one that a lot of folks used, but you couldn't stray from lawful good. You make this really cool nine quadrant alignment chart, and then you give one class and you're like, you get in that fucking upper right corner. Get up in there. Don't you even smell like you're making a different decision. (laughs) Do you think you want to steal that? Well, you can't, or I'll take your powers away. And then when it gets really bad is when they try to cut off their party members' hands when they're trying to steal stuff. Holy shit, that escalated quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It does every time, I feel like. Well, that's because we pigeonhole them into these character types. And for some reason, you know, when I think of Monk, like, I made a sailor, a brawling sailor, using the template of a monk. Why do I have trouble building a paladin that strays from the lawful good but I don't have problem building a wild-ass monk that barely has anything to do with the ideas, the stereotypical ideas of a monk. Right. I totally get what you mean. And with my most recent character, I actually uh, tried to shunt him out of the paladin concept. I've got the Junker, who's a trashy, disgusting shame of his family, but his (laughs) ancestors are trying to give him these paladin powers to get him back on the right track. You twisted the trope. You flipped the script. (laughs) And it's been really fun. But anyways. Did the old switcheroo. 
So the problem is, is that people play paladins as rigid representations of their values. And those values are kind of given to paladins. Yeah. It's easy to consider them as part of the mechanics of the class, but <laughs> they're really not. And the other problem is the paladin's oaths and tenets become 100% of their personality. Like sometimes you get too stuck on that and you don't introduce anything else to the character. I've been guilty of this so many different times. It's a really easy trap to fall into. Yeah. And like, I think we've all known followers of something in real life, like be it any religion or any group that takes this to the extreme, whether it just be the punks that you went to high school with that you couldn't really tell them apart because they all just wanted to conform so much. (laughs) Well, conformity is a major part of a lot of different groups. And it's something that we all recognize and we all have experience with. So it's really easy to start to role play up aspects of that. And that is actually where the fun of a paladin comes in when you start considering as a character that you don't need to conform. Then there's more to this world than conformity. Yeah. Ooh. And in this episode, we aren't really going to talk too much about the religious part of paladins because we've covered that in episode 81, Create Gods and Religions with Ease, and episode 82, Build Religious Characters with Depth. So we've beaten that one pretty hard. (laughs) We've flogged it for (laughs) everything it's ready to give us. So we're going to talk a lot more about role-playing with some of the Paladin Oaths and Tenants in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so if you need a quick recap on the Paladin, they've got these oaths that we've been talking about and they're really simple concepts. Like the oaths from the book are things like vengeance and redemption. Those are pretty big, vague concepts. Absolutely. And so that's why it gives you five tenets, little rules to guide this oath. And the book gives you some classics, and they're really fun as starting points. But something we want to mention right off the top is that you can change these oaths and tenets to whatever the heck you want. (laughs) No rules. Yeah, you can reflavor to your heart's content. Really, the formula is a concept that is supported by five rules. And they can be really simple rules. They do not have to be buck-wild very complex, personal growth kind of things. They're just things that are going to create some conflict within your character. And that's why, again, we love the Paladin because it has role-playing conflict baked right into the class. So, you know, if you want to play a classic adventure, you could just go with the Oath of Exploration. I will map every corner of this world, and here are some of the rules that I do that by. Yeah, if you want to play a really aggressive Paladin that is kind of not the classic, but more of a a paladin of expansion or domination. Yeah, that's an interesting spin on a paladin. There is, you know, I must be the best. Or you can flip it the other way and do an oath of peace. Then you're not really using your mighty attacks at everybody that you might suspect is not following your oath. An oath of optimism. You're just the chipper dude. 
<laughs> I like it. I would play that paladin for sure. You could do an oath of onion rings for all that matters. Yeah. You're all about spreading fast food throughout the <laughs> world. Everyone will be greasy. Why not? You could do an oath of the party. Yeah, I like that. See, like you're really, really committed to the party and the party dynamics. No, I mean like more of the oath of the college party. Oath of the partier. <laughs> oath of the frat party. <laughs> yes. Got it. Okay. Because frats and sororities are pretty much uh, paladin. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're totally, oh my God. Uh, I never considered <laughs> that. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, don't make that paladin. Anyways, the steps to taking these and turning them into a character that's really fun are to create some internal conflict because the core of every character is doing this and there's just kind of an easy way to do it with the paladin. Then you got to externalize that internal conflict because the worst thing that happens at the D&D table is you've got this rich character that is just in your head and is not expressed in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> just silently happening <laughs> in your own mind and never making it into the game itself. Yeah. We can't see your brooding. You got to describe it. And then you got to deal with the interpersonal conflict that can arise from going down that path of thinking that you need to enforce your oath on everyone. Yeah. Now we're getting into the rich stuff. So let's expand on each one of those. So let's start with that creation of the internal conflict. Well, as we've been talking about, these oaths provide great fodder for paladins to role play with and react to. I mean, you could go down the path that your paladin struggles to uphold their beliefs because they're human and they're flawed and they suck at being a paladin in some ways. You could do the paladin that questions their beliefs. It's not necessarily that they aren't good at them or can't do them. It's that they're now that they're out in the world, their beliefs don't seem so great anymore. Hmm. Yeah. You just made me think of a paladin that's great at upholding their tenants and their oath, but unfortunately the thing that gave them their tenants and their oath and gave them their powers is maybe not as good at being a guiding force. Uh, I'm thinking kind of like along the lines of uh, Tyler, the terrible hormone monster from Big Mouth. <laughs> yes. The young newbie to being a hormone monster, and he was just screwing up at every opportunity. I like that. Like you've got a, a god that's new to the game or a cosmic power that's just like, you're my first paladin. <laughs> I don't know how to do this yet. <laughs> I really want to make that character now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. But in order to make that character, we have to decide on what those tenants are. We have to figure out what the oath is and then decide on some tenants. Right. So let's take a classic from the book, the Devotion Paladin. They've got their tenets of honesty, courage, compassion, honor, and duty. God, those are some big-ass concepts. <laughs> That's really difficult to kind of nail down. Yeah, and you're the best of the best if you can, I guess. Like, honesty is just you never lie or cheat. That's That's pretty much it. Well, some of these are more understandable, and we can work with them, but there's one that I find kind of funny, and that's honor. Because honor as a concept doesn't really mean anything. It's just whatever culture says the word honor, they're talking about their own morality. How, how would you follow honor? What would you do that's honorable right now? Uh, 
not kick you in the groin? Sure, I guess. What if we just talked about knots? No sucker punching. I'm not going to poop on the floor of this podcast studio. <laughs> That's an honorable act. Very honorable. Thank and- you. <laughs> That's also compassionate. Yeah, 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 that's true. Anyway, so if you start with these tenets, then you can create a counterpoint to them that's a character flaw of yours. That's why they're struggling with it. And I think this is the piece that a lot of folks tend to miss, that I've missed in the past. When I look at these tenets, I see honesty, don't lie or cheat, courage, never fear to act, though caution is wise. So we have these kind of rules laid out And I infer naturally that that is my character. Of course, they are going to never lie and never cheat, and they're never going to be afraid of acting. But falling into that trap of thinking that that is your character is where we struggle with paladins. If we consider this is where my paladin struggles, my paladin is trying their darndest to never lie or cheat. And they're trying to never be afraid to act but they are in fact cowardly and they're trying to live by these tenants. That's where the juice starts to come in. I think you're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons that you and I have feared playing a paladin for so long is because we don't want to be an honest, courageous, compassionate, honorable, duteous, that's not a (laughs) word, character. We don't want to just play that exact character. And that's where we fall into the upper right-hand quadrant of the alignment (laughs) chart. But yeah, if you explore whatever your tenets are, you can create some really cool struggles. The counterpoint to honesty is you've got a greedy character that really is trying to be honest. You've got a cowardly character that's really trying to not give in to every fear that they have. They can get more interesting. You've got discompassionate paladin because they've got some kind of a superiority complex and they really struggle with the compassion part of their creed and this is so much fun because this immediately creates some of my backstory even so my dishonest character who has to now live by honor was adopted into a creed of paladins from being a convict they were you know they're reformed and they're desperately trying to stick to their new creed okay yeah but their life experiences how they've managed to survive is very different i could create a paladin that is cowardly because they literally left their entire they're the lone survivor of a battle because they played dead (laughs) that is some interesting stuff so when your entire party gets into the shit in their first battle your paladin plays dead and is now trying to regain trust in the entire party because they did this shitty thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now it's out in the open. The entire party knows that your paladin is a piece of shit coward that <laughs> might play dead, and you never know if the next battle they're going to stand up and fight through thick and thin. Yeah, so play with this however you want. You've got your tenets, which are things that your character is going to follow, to the best of their ability, but really they suck at a couple of them. And that's where your your personality is going to come out and you're going to start to be able to develop a character as you play. Totally. The next step is externalizing this internal conflict. Often, because some of these tenants 
are so high level and so philosophical in nature, it's difficult to sometimes externalize them and add them to role play. So next we have to figure out how to make the rest of the party aware and allow them to play off of some of the internal conflict that's happening within your character. Because the thing to remember, the difference with paladins is that they are dealing with some kind of a greater power that's giving them the magic smashy stuff they do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a couple of constructs to help you work through how you might start to show this in an external way is think of physical, mental, and spiritual tells. Tells, yeah, manifestations. How is your internal conflict manifesting? These are the struggles that you're having. So with physical, you could have horns that start growing. That's a classic. Like there's a movie with Daniel Radcliffe called Horns where that's the entire plot of the story. Pretty much. Like his girlfriend died and everyone accuses him of doing it and he's growing horns that are making everyone think that he was he's the bad guy. Why would you grow <laughs> horns otherwise? Yeah. Your hand could start going necrotic with your struggles like black and kind of gnarled or even demonic or something else that's kind of showing all of the different aspects of how your character is struggling with their oath. Yeah, really, just take a page from the Fable video game. Just have all of the evil manifestations start to bubble through, like your veins could start bulging out, Oh, looking all nasty. Absolutely. Your eyes could start turning another color. That's a cool one. Yeah. You could also even ground this a lot in reality, and your paladin is just suffering from some serious ulcers. Every single time they don't stop the rogue in the party from doing the bad thing, they're like, ah, fuck, I'm dealing, uh, popping uh, those little chewable tablets like crazy, <laughs> like they're Tic Tacs. Your paladin is just dealing with real stress effects and needs a lot of medicine. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. What about on the mental side? I like the idea that more negative personality traits could come out as a result of their internal conflict. Like they could become more aggressive uh, and not necessarily towards their fellow party members, but towards NPCs. Like they start out as this charismatic paladin. I mean, your paladin's probably going to have a high charisma because that's kind of how the mechanics work. Mm -hmm. And so this is easy to play with. Play with their charisma going off. Yeah. Well, there's no reason to let the rogue be the only person that's allowed to fly off the handle from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Get the paladin in there. Again, they're human. And downtime is a great way to do this. When you arrive into town and the DM says, hey, you got some downtime. What do y'all do with it? The natural response by any paladin is, I'm going to go and commune with my God. Yeah. Go that to the church doesn't sound like you're struggling much. <laughs> However, going to bet on some back alley brawls <laughs> is a kind of an unexpected thing. And again, when the rogue and the paladin see each other at the same back alley brawl, it's like, what are you doing here? There you go. That is some, uh-oh, the paladin maybe not is doing so well, methinks. Yeah, I mean, the paladin is the most interesting character to have indulge in some vices. 
it creates the best story. Because like you said, when the rogue's doing it or the barbarian is doing it, it's like, yep, that's in line with their character. Share some hobbies with your rogue. <laughs> that's some warning signs for your paladin. Yeah. We both love stealing. We both love stabbing people in the back. <laughs> for one of us, that's natural. For the other one, you're in uh-oh territory. And then the rogue can even be keeping your secret. And that's a cool dynamic, too. Oh, for the first time in the history of D&D, the paladin and the rogue, best friends forever. There we go. They're keeping each other's <laughs> terrible secrets. Cracked it. Okay, what about spiritual? How can we have spiritual manifestations? Well, one manifestation, of course, that spiritual people often use is phrases from whatever they follow. And for this, I mean... Obviously, you're not going to come up with great philosophical phrases or deeply spiritual phrases off the top of your head. If you're playing with your friends, famous quotations about your tenets is a great way to go. All you got to do is Google quotes about courage and all kinds of stuff comes up. Like from our old buddy J.R.R. Tolkien himself, it is not the strength of the body that counts, but the strength of the spirit. Mm. It's simple, but it backs up your, you know, your tenet a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if when you're struggling with upholding some of your tenets, what happens when your deity or whatever is granting you these powers is like, this person's being a little bit of a shithead. Or, hey, I don't like what the party is doing. I'm going to intervene. What if it speaks through you to your party? All right. Like, takes over. <laughs> I like this, too, because it's not putting it on the DM to play your god. You're not, like, adding an NPC to their list to always be aware of. That's always a bit of a challenge with paladins, too, is who's holding you accountable to play your paladin correctly. Well, it shouldn't have to be up to the DM. If yeah. a player is having fun with it, go ahead and describe how your paladin is being antagonized by their own deity. <laughs> I like this. I like the idea of the paladin even being unaware of it, but somebody else is doing something shitty while the paladin's sleeping. <laughs> and the paladin just, hey, Oh my stop. God. <laughs> <laughs> the paladin isn't even aware but that they're being remote piloted by their deity. Wakes up later. How's everyone doing? You got real weird on that short rest. <laughs> you were in a nap, but... I like that. Well, next we have to move forward with interpersonal conflict. So how do we keep the action moving forward when the things that are happening around us go against our tenants or go against the core beliefs or the oath of your paladin? How do you allow the momentum to keep moving forward without being that stick in the mud and saying, I'm not going to go in there or I'm not going to follow through with this plan because it goes against my tenants. Or the worst of it is I'm going to actively fight my party. Oh my goodness, yes. Because they're bad, bad folks. I mean, this is basically roleplay death. Yeah. Instead of yes and, this is no fuck <laughs> off. This no is... stop, I win. D&D. <laughs> &D. Everyone go home. <laughs> And odds are you're going to have a party full of people that have very different morals from your paladin. Some things you can do without derailing it and sending everyone home 
are, you know, challenging them to be better in character, but not actually interfering with their choices. Yeah, this is kind of like this the prime directive from Star Trek. Like, they have the prime directive, and they fuck with it all the time. <laughs> They're not supposed to interfere with these life forms and their development and all that stuff. But they do. Once in a while they do. And sometimes they challenge those life forms to be better. Re always remember, you can express your oaths without actively enforcing them. When somebody's doing something shitty, you can remind them what you believe and have a conversation that might lead to something cool. But don't slash them. <laughs> don't draw your sword. Got it. <laughs> you can use some of the downtime to have conversations with other party members around some of the big decisions that were getting made around you to say, hey, I did not stop you in this endeavor, but I am going to express to you, I do not like it when you stab a bound henchman when you're questioning them. We can find better methods, you piece of shit rogue. <laughs> yeah, I really like the idea of having these conversations after the fact, because then it's a, this happened, let's deal with the repercussions of it and how we're processing it. Yeah. Rather than that, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> exactly. What, what happens after that? Another thing you can do is you can look for the oaths in your party. So not only recognizing when the rest of the party isn't following some of your tenants and where maybe they could, but recognizing when they do and celebrating that and finding that recognition with each one of the party members. So guaranteed, if you dig deep enough, you will find some commonalities with every member of the party, things that your paladin loves about them. Yeah, totally. You've got five tenets. Odds are they're not all going to be the exact same thing. Truthfulness, trust, telling the truth, not lying, and being honest. <laughs> <laughs> your tenets are probably going to be so varied that your entire party is going to, in some way, shape, or form, embody one of them. Well, and they're so vague to start with that you have a lot of creative freedom there. Yeah. And the last point I'd try to make here is that you can change other people's minds with real ways to change people's minds, not just yelling your beliefs at them. <laughs> that is the best way. That's the number one rule in how to win friends and influence people <laughs> is yell your beliefs in their face. Well, I get that uh, our real world kind of supports that mindset sometimes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, you can, as a paladin, try to understand the reasons behind their values. Try to get your rogue to explain their values to you. That's a fun conversation. Yeah, turn the tables on them. What are your values? Yeah. This encourages not only the other players to consider what their characters value, but also the role-playing of the relationship that you have between each one of these characters. You could even play up being curious as to how one could live without a strict set of tenets to follow. What guides you? Right? What the heck? I hope this triggered something in your mind about what you're going to do with your current or next paladin. Yeah, there's a ton to explore here. I'm really excited to actually build a paladin now. I think I might go and do that. <laughs> With some depth, not yeah. just the tenets from the book, right? Well, I've avoided paladins because I've always seen them as so role-playing restrictive. 
but they are role-playing rich. There's a lot going on here, and I can have a ton of mischievous fun with my paladin. Yes. You can make a paladin that has all of the hijinks of a rogue, for <laughs> sure. So what do we got next? Well, I figure you yelled Mandalorian at me very loudly for a reason. So I'm assuming we're going to hop over to the extra dimensional gateway to talk about that a little bit more. Let's do it. Mandalorian. This is the extra dimensional gateway. So I'd have to be pretty thick to not figure that you have figured out that the Mandalorian is absolutely a paladin. Ah, you've connected the dots in my <laughs> intricate puzzle. <laughs> yes, uh, as I was reflecting on what my favorite paladins are from pop culture and movies and TV shows I've seen, as soon as I realized that the Mandalorian was a paladin, I realized he was the perfect paladin. He's a great model. Yeah for what a paladin should be. And I guess the first point here to make is that the Mandalorian takes so much inspiration from spaghetti westerns with that lone gunman hero. And those take a lot of inspiration from even older films and storytelling like the Lone Samurai. Oh yeah, there's a ton of themes in there that were intentionally leaned into in the show. Yeah. To give you some useful takeaways, to use for your paladin from the Mandalorian, consider, you know, he was raised in a cult with strict rules and beliefs, essentially. Yeah. He enters the world and realizes there's a lot he doesn't know that his Mandalorian skills aren't going to help him with. I mean, in the very first episode, he goes to a planet that he's unfamiliar with, and to get where he needs to go, he needs to learn a new skill, riding the Blurg. <laughs> Uh, kind of dinosaur, two-legged creature. Yeah. And that's great. He's challenged in an actual way. Well, and what I love about the show and the character of the Mandalorian is how often he fails and how often he gets beat up. Yes. And how often he's not the best in the world. Yep. Let your paladin fail is the lesson there. And a lot of his conflict comes from him trying to apply the only path he's ever learned on this world and it doesn't work he's exploring the universe and seeing that there's a lot that he can't paint with his very broad brush yeah but the most important moments in his character development is when he's torn between a personal choice and following his tenets Ooh, i mean they spent two seasons of build-up of him trying to resist breaking his one of his only rules. Yeah. So like sit there with your paladin and have them struggle with some of the choices that they have to make. Have it be really challenging. And when you do finally break your tenet in an obvious way, the rest of the party will know it and it'll be a big moment. And just some reminders as to what the takeaways are not is playing the strong silent type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is always kind of a D&D newbie's first mistake. It was mine. It was mine. It was everybody's <laughs> first mistake is I'm going to make a strong silent type. And the reason that this doesn't work in D&D &D and that it works so well in shows like this is that you need an entire supporting cast who exists entirely 
to give you exposition on your story and to give you something to respond to. And unless you've got the best DM in the world that cares exclusively about your character, it's not going to work great. In addition to that, it works so much better visually because you can see the stuff that the strong, silent person is doing. Yeah. But when you're sharing the space with multiple other main characters that are taking up the spotlight in your absence, you're not going to get noticed. If the Mandalorian was hanging out with some of the other stars of Star Wars, it wouldn't <laughs> be a cool show. He would just be hanging out in the background and busting out his combat abilities when he needed to. Well, and to be fair, that is what originally made Boba Fett pretty cool, was that he didn't say a lot of stuff and he was kind of gnarly and silent. But again, he was not the star of the show. So the stars of the show, Han, Luke, Leia, these are the folks that we focused on because they had shit going on. <laughs> yeah. Boba Fett was a background character that nobody knew anything about. There was no story there. He was just an enemy. If you're considering the Mandalorian as inspiration for your character, any DMs out there also to use it as inspiration for your adventures because it pulls it off beautifully. Like, if you just take this simple adventure structure from so many episodes of The Mandalorian, heroes need something, someone has it, they gotta do something for that someone to get it, and the something is in a new area with new challenges. That's all you need to run an adventure. The power of the MacGuffin. Yeah, and the power of just sticking to the basics and not trying to tell your epic, world-shattering D&D story. Well... You referenced concepts for paladins, so I'm assuming there's more than just the Mandalorian. Yes, because as my brain sat with the concept of paladins, it started to separate a lot more from that knightly concept or that, you know, just the concepts that we have about paladins. So I present to you a couple more options. You might initially say, paladin, you're full of shit, you fool of a Jordan. <laughs> But I present Batman Begins as the Paladin tale because you've got uh, a group of rule-following, passionate extremists. And the main hero is trying to figure out what tenets they follow. Yeah, and he's learning the tenets from this group as he's learning the combat skills that make him a, a follower of the night. And he realizes that he doesn't agree with the way that the Order interprets one of these tenets. So it's a matter of interpretation that really sets Batman down his path, and then he becomes a paladin. Yeah. He's got a no-guns rule, no-killing rule, justice above all. He's got tenets. Holy shit. I mean, he even still shares some tenets with the bad guys, because, I mean, when he's fighting Bane later on, oh, theatricality and deception. That's one of their tenets. That's a tenet that they both learned and took in different directions. Love it. And finally, I present to you Silence of the Lambs. Okay, bit of a stretch. <laughs> I'm excited to see where you take this one. Okay, so you've got Clarice Starling, an FBI agent. Oh, a group with strict rules, you say? <laughs> All right. And she's trying to be the best FBI agent she can. Because she believes in the FBI. I, I see it now. It's starting to come together. <laughs> yeah. 
partway through, she realizes the FBI may not be quite as great as she once thought it was. And she continues to use her skills that she developed independently to create her own tenets and do what she believes is right. That is spot on. I mean, what this reinforces to me is that anything can be a paladin. Anything with rules, anything with motivation and an ideal for what they're trying to achieve can be a paladin. Paladins are a lot more flexible than most of us consider them to be. Totally. And I think a big takeaway for me is just that the group that a paladin comes from does not have to be a holy order of knights. It can be like any organization has lofty ideals and every single person struggles with upholding those lofty ideals. Yeah. Well, I hope that was helpful. Or at least fun. Why not both? All right. Both. I demand it be both. Thank you very much to our patrons who made this episode possible. And continue to support us, not just financially with the Patreon, but with ideas and with conversation and with challenging the way that we think about D&D. Welcome to our new patron, Chris F. We've got the classics, I See Spiders Where There Are None, Sean J, The Senate, Lucas D, Lila G, The GM Tim, Nevermore, Thomas W, Ty N, Heavy Arms, Eric R, Aldrus, Leprechaun, and Will HP, thank you all so much. You keep us true to our tenets so that we make good content. Speaking of content, Jordan and I are moving houses and we would humbly request from you a short break. Hopefully you're all right with a little pause to give us a little bit of time so that we don't just crap out the next couple episodes while we're moving. <laughs> you will not like the results of a half-assed episode. These current ones take our whole ass. <laughs> Indeed. And some of them are a little dubious even then. And if all I'm thinking about this week is moving, then the next episode's going to end up being uh, how to incorporate moving into your D&D games. We're going to talk about a villain that we based off of the person that rented us the U-Haul. <laughs> it's just going to suck. So yes, on June 21st, we'll be back. We'll be better. We'll be cooking along with some really good guests that are coming to share their awesome knowledge with us. Jared has some great guests cooking up. So really excited to come back. Come back strong after a very short break. We really appreciate your patience while we do this. And... Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can also join that awesome community. We will still be active there during the break, so come on over to our Discord if you miss us. Or I'd... if you want ideas while we're not podcasting actively. That patron-only channel in the writer's room is where we'll be hanging out a lot of the time as we start to cook up some of these episodes for the after break. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening. And, and this is the way. Game. This is my way.